Amen. Good morning, everybody. Really good to see you. Hey, a few weeks ago, uh, we received news. I'm sure you will uh, remember this, regular Timberline family members, of, uh, of Ruth Foth's sudden illness. And uh, I am delighted to tell you that Ruth was in church again for the first time last night, and our very own pastor, Dick Foth, is going to come and give us a little report. So why don't we welcome Dick as he comes and shares with us. Thank you. I'm here to give testimony to a miracle and to thank you for your prayer. The last time I spoke here was on Pentecost Sunday, six weeks ago, and at the end of the of my talk, I just said, going forward, I'd like to have my life be touched by the Holy Spirit, and I'd like to see miracles. Had no idea that within five days we would see that. On Wednesday, May 22nd, Ruth and I were in Estes Park with several couples with whom we meet once a year from around the country, have for 20 years. Ruth had just said something to one of the young women in the circle. Ruth was sitting beside me, and she slid back beside me and immediately slumped to her left and I grabbed her and turned her toward me, and when her face came toward me, I was looking at the face of death. Her eyes were open, her pupils were dilated. In that moment, she had died. Your heart in your chest is a three-quarter pound pump that works for decades. And um, the plumbing is the arteries, the muscle is the mechanics, the valves, and the electrical system runs it all. Her arteries are fine, her pump is fine, but the electrical part shorted out her sister, at age 42, 17 years ago, fell dead in her kitchen of that kind of short. There's no way to predict that. And I was looking at death. I grabbed her and started praying and shouting, I think, Ruth, don't leave me. You know, we do that. And all the people in the room started praying. They called 911. Within two minutes, a young police officer ran into the room, dropped on the floor, started doing chest compressions. Within another moment or two, a minute or two, the paramedics were there. Uh, they shocked her three times. After the third time, they found some kind of pulse. They worked on her for 20 or 25 minutes, transported, transported her to Estes Park Hospital. The series of things, the seamless way this happened, is the hand of God in the mix, I believe. They paralyzed her to take her body temperature down to 92 degrees for 24 hours and then warmed her up a half a degree at a time for the next 12 hours. They helicoptered her from Estes to MCR, and um, Ruth uh, doesn't like to fly. Uh, <laughs> she's flown all over the world with me, but a few years ago she said, why don't you keep doing that and I'll just hang out. And, and so when she woke up, I said, I have something to tell you that you're not going to like. You flew in a helicopter. <laughs> but the fact is that they paralyzed her for 24 hours and then they warm them up. And the doctor, the cardiologist said this, she might wake up after that time. She might wake up and be brain damaged at any level because we don't know how much oxygen deprivation she had or she may never wake up. And we lived with that for 40 hours. I've never been as scared in my whole life. I've never cried as much in my whole life. I've never trusted more in my whole life. You can be scared and trust at the same time, I found out. But it was your prayers, your faithfulness that carried us. It was the people who called or the, or the cardiac surgeon that we had only met once who walked into the ICU unit in the middle of the night and said, I think we need to pray. And he put his hand on Ruth and he started praying, Lord God Almighty, in a loud voice, nurses coming and going, machines whirring, Lord God Almighty, I pray that you will heal Ruth. 
They warmed her up for 12 hours and they said, you know, don't expect too much. She might not be back for days if she comes back. And 10 hours into the warm-up time, I'm sleeping in her room, trying to sleep, and they shake me at 2 in the morning and wake me up and said, Ruth is waking up. And the male nurse looked at her and said, we have some commands we give that show some kind of brain function. He said, Ruth, open your eyes. She opened her eyes and said, look at me. She looked at me. He said, squeeze my hand. She squeezed his hand. She said, he said, wiggle your toes. She wiggled her toes. He said, wiggle the toes on your right foot. She wiggled her toes. He said, shrug your shoulders. She shrugged. He said, give me a smile. She's intubated, a little smile. He said, give me two thumbs up. And when she gave him two thumbs up, I lost it. God is faithful. Whether she lived or died, he would still be faithful. I'm glad she lived. I believe that your prayers had something to do with that, certainly had something to do with how we felt in the midst of all the things that were going on. And, um, you know, Ruth is coming back energy-wise. You go away a lot quicker than you come back, I just like to say that. And so when you're in a hospital for 11 days, this happens. But she was here last night. We are grateful to God for his faithfulness, for yours. She says it this way. I am here by the grace of God and the vigilance of man. On Friday morning, Ruth and I had the chance to go up and thank the first responders in Estes Park. And when we walked into the room, <clears throat> they welled up and hugged her. And because they don't hear results like this. The odds of her surviving this without deficit are unbelievably slim. So this is for whatever his purposes. I can't tell you, I can tell you the what, I can't tell you the why, okay? I'm still processing that. And some of you sit here with lives that hang in the balance this morning. Some of you sit here saying, I don't know where God is in the situation. I don't know what's going on. But I just came to tell you that the faithfulness of God and the prayers of his people are valuable beyond measure. And I'd like to pray for you, if I may, in this mix. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your people, for the one who sits here scared out of their minds this morning. I pray that your comfort will be theirs. Your presence will be real. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do. And we commit ourselves to follow you all the days of our lives in ways beyond our understanding at this point. Thank you for your grace, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wow. Last night we sat around with Dick and Ruth, and Dick said, uh, he said, it's really great that uh, Ruth's brain's not been affected. He said, I'm not sure about mine, but hers, <laughs> hers is okay. Wonderful news. Well, we are continuing this series, Off-Road. If you're not regular to Timberline, we are working our way through the book of Exodus, this story of liberation and freedom. The Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, and God raised up an 80-year-old man to lead them out of slavery, and he, together with his brother, has to go and, in, and uh, confront Pharaoh, the head guy, uh, and say to him, God says, let my people go. And it didn't go very well, as we're about to see. Has anyone ever done something, and then you thought, what was I thinking? I do that almost every week. It's just 
a pattern of my life? What was I thinking? That's what we're going to look at. And we're diving into Exodus chapter 5. This is after Moses and Aaron have met with Pharaoh and things have gone horribly wrong. Then the slave drivers and the overseers went out and said to the people, this is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble for use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, demanding, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh, why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, lazy, that's what you are, lazy. That's why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them, and they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Well, it's coming up again next weekend, isn't it? <laughs> My favorite weekend of the year. The 4th of July... And somehow, in the plan of God, it always works out that I get to preach that weekend, next weekend, the 4th of July. I don't know why I just don't come up here and just say, okay, we lost, we're over it. <laughs> so I thought I'd be a little bit naughty this weekend, just by way of a change. I couldn't possibly get away with this next weekend. I want to give you some instructions on what you should do should you ever encounter Her Majesty the Queen. Now, you might think that this is not likely to happen, but as you can see here, there, there was an occasion in my life I wore my Colorado cowboy hat, which she thought was really attractive. What do you do if you meet the Queen? Number one, uh, you greet her with Her Majesty. Not Your Royal Highness, it's Your Majesty, okay, people? And thereafter, you call her ma'am. But initially, it's always uh, Your Majesty. Secondly, do not bow or curtsy. You don't have to, I have to do that. Bow, that is not curtsy, that wouldn't look good. You're an American, and she's not in charge here. You know that, that's what you're celebrating. So you are not required. <laughs> you don't have to bow. I mean, guys, if you want to be polite, you might just, you know, you know, ladies, you might just give a little bob, but you don't have to do that. You're American, so that's great. So, uh, thirdly, do not touch the queen. <laughs> Sir, step away from the queen. If she extends her hand to you, then you may shake her hand, but do not initiate that. You do not touch the queen. Fourthly, do not turn your back on her at any point. This is not because she might steal your purse, but it is... <laughs> That's possible. It is, it is considered to be disrespectful to turn your back on the queen. I mean, can you imagine all this stuff you have to go through? Imagine this, you've got to go see Pharaoh. 
And I, I've researched this. I discovered that if you wanted to see Pharaoh, this, this man who was surrounded, he sat on a throne, he's surrounded uh, by servants and dignitaries. First of all, uh, here's what you have to do. You have to prostrate yourself before him seven times on your stomach and seven times on your back. So that's going to take a little while. Secondly, you have to praise him. If you can't think of anything to say, try this. Oh, Pharaoh, you are like the sun in the sky, and I am like the dust beneath your feet. Something like that. That normally works pretty good. Uh, thirdly, gentlemen, uh, you have to shave your legs. I don't know whether Pharaoh was into cycling. I'm not sure. But men, you have to shave your legs before you meet him. And fourthly, do not touch the Pharaoh. You touch the Pharaoh, we break your face. You are not allowed to touch him. Man, a terrifying process, procedure. Moses and Aaron go to him and they say, Let my people go, says the Lord. And Pharaoh says, Who's the Lord and who are you? Can we just go out for three days for a little bit of celebrating? Because if we don't do that, God's going to nuke us. It's a terrifying deal. Let's have a look at what happens. If you're following in the bulletin, take a look. First of all, let's know this. Following God might bring more trouble, not less. Following God might bring more trouble, not less. Look at what happened. Verse 13, the slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. Moses must have thought, what was I thinking? You ever done that? You've said... What was I thinking? I, I was in New Zealand speaking at a conference, and the conference leader said, Jeff, we would like to sponsor you to do a bungee jump. <laughs> and we'd like to take a video of this, and we want to show it to the conference, because we feel that they would enjoy the, at the uh, expression of raw terror. <laughs> and I prayed about this for about three seconds, and I did not feel led <laughs> to do this. And even if I had, I wouldn't have done it. And so I said, are there any options? They said, yeah, you can jump off of a 2,000-foot cliff with a parachute strapped to a college student. I said, that, that sounds like a lot of fun. So my wife and I, separately, we put on our parachutes. We strapped ourselves to a pre-adolescent, and <laughs> we are charging towards the cliff. And as I went off the edge of the cliff, I suddenly thought, what am I... <laughs> and then tried to smile for the camera. <laughs> Moses does what God asks him to do, and then it gets worse. And man, did it get worse. Historical documents from the day tell us that the temperatures were over 100 degrees. They had no hats. They wore little aprons, uh, which did not give them any protection from the sun. Their kidneys were packing up. They were quitting. Because of the relentless sun, there was no water. This was a terrible situation. Moses does what God tells him to do, and look, it gets worse. Sometimes that happens. Let's get out of the idea that God's primary agenda is to make us more comfortable. It's not true. Sometimes we get disappointed with God because life gets uncomfortable because we follow God, and then we... We forget that we follow in the line of the disciples, the majority of whom were martyred. 
Life can get more uncomfortable. There are people around the world today who are sitting in prison cells for no other reason but because they love Jesus. That's why quite seriously celebrating freedom next weekend is very, very important. We shouldn't take it for granted. But in our, in our lives, it can be the case that we follow God and things turn bad. Because we follow God, the woman who refuses to date that guy because he's not a Christian and she wants a Christian partner, and then nobody calls. The man who says, I don't want to work on Sundays, not because of legalistic reasons, but because I want to worship and be with my family, and surprisingly, three months later, he gets fired because he's tried to do the right thing. John, the policeman that I met back in England, before he became a Christian, he was on duty at a soccer game, wanted to make an arrest, planted drugs on a guy. A few months later, the guy gets sent to prison for five years. John becomes a Christian, and he now knows that an innocent man is in prison because of him, and now he's a Christian. He has to confess. He loses his career. He loses his job. He goes to prison. Bad place for a policeman. You see, sometimes because we follow God, things get worse. Trouble comes. We've got to know that in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, comes before, give us this day our daily bread. God is a God of kingdom purposes. Yes, he cares about us and our lives, wants to intervene. And yet there are times when things get worse. Secondly, when we're in trouble, go to the right source for help. When we're in trouble, go to the right source for help. Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? A couple of weeks ago, I met a moose. <laughs> you guys ever met a moose? They are mean. I had no idea that they were mean. I just thought they were miserable. Why the long face? All that stuff. But <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist that. Uh, Kay and I were out with some friends on some four-wheelers, and we were, we were driving around, and, and someone said, there's a moose. So I stopped my four-wheeler, and I put it in reverse, and I reversed back to see the moose. And the moose is munching away, a few hundred yards away, looking pretty happy. So I thought, this is kind of cool. Then I started up my four-wheeler four again. Moose looked up and said, Englishman. <laughs> the moose decided to give up being a vegetarian at that moment <laughs> and suddenly is thundering across the field. And Kay says, oh, look, he's coming to see us. <laughs> the moose comes around behind me. I, I, I think, we've got to get out of here. I'm in reverse. I reverse back to the moose. You can see the moose saying, come to Papa. <laughs> I was heading towards the source of the problem. They go to Pharaoh. He's their problem. Three times in their little speech, they say, your servants. They're not the servants of Pharaoh. They're the people of God. But they've decided now to go to the very reason for their problem to try and get help, and they've decided to submit themselves to him. 
Are you in a problem, but you keep going back to it, thinking you're going to get helped out by your problem? Sir, if you've got a problem with alcohol abuse, more alcohol is not going to solve the problem. Are we going to places that are exactly the wrong places for help? Have we decided to call ourselves the servant of something? And we have no right, now that we are free in Christ, to call ourselves so. Thirdly, thirdly, fellowship is costly and demanding. Fellowship is costly and demanding. Look at what happens um, uh, as this disastrous situation unfolds. Verse 20, when they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials, and you have put a sword in their hand to kill us. It's kind of rude, frankly. When they said, you've made us obnoxious, the Hebrew word there means, you have made our odor to stink. It's not nice. And then they say, may the Lord look on you. The Hebrew word means to frown. May God frown upon you, and may he judge you, punish you, for all this trouble you have brought on us. I want you to notice something here. Not only are they being aggressive and rude, but they are speaking a curse. They are basically undercutting the integrity spiritually of Moses and Aaron. They are kind of writing them off as being almost from the devil. If that ever happened to you, it happened to me. I was preaching at a men's retreat. I won't say where in case you're from Oregon, and I was over there <laughs> speaking and... At the end of one of the services, this guy came up to me. He looked pretty normal, actually. And he was a deacon in a church, looked like a reasonably intelligent guy. I've shared this story here before, but it illustrates something. And he said, Jeff, when you were preaching today, I saw a mark on your head. I said, really? What do you think it was? He said, I think it might be the mark of the beast. I said, excuse me? He said, I think it might be the mark of the beast. What would you like me to do? He said. Now, you, some of you would be a little offended at this. I said, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to go away. <laughs> Please, right, just go away. Some of you are looking at me kind of shocked, like, why didn't you help him? How could I help him? I'm a Satanist. What have I got to offer? I said, I'd like you to go away. He said, don't you want me to pray for you? I said, no, I won't dignify this madness with a further conversation. I'd like you to go away. I did talk with him later in the weekend, but when he did go away, I wept. It's pathetic, I know, but I cried. Why? Because he had got me in the very underbelly. Not just saying I don't like you, don't like your preaching, but this curse. You see, we Christians can be pretty mean to each other. And I just want to say, and I, I, I love church, but I want to just say, when we hurt each other, let's hang in there and be faithful. Aaron and Moses could have said, that is it, we are out of here. This is what we get for trying to help out. May the Lord frown upon you. Thank you very much. But instead they hung in there because the church is always imperfect. 
The playwright Dorothy Sayers has said this, God went through three great humiliations in his pursuit of humanity. The first was the incarnation when Jesus took on human flesh and became like us. The second was the cross where he died a shameful and painful death. And the third, she said, was the church where God entrusted his reputation to ordinary people. I love the church. But let's have a realistic understanding of the capacity that we can have at times to wound each other. And let's be faithful in those difficult times. Well, the fourth thing is that some of the best prayers are questions fueled by anger. Some of the best prayers are questions fueled by anger. Look at what happens. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? And by the way, he uses the word Adonai here, which means chief or boss. I like that. Why, chief? Why, boss, have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he brought trouble. He's brought trouble on this people, and you've not rescued your people at all. Pastor Reza said last weekend, God never rebuked Moses for his questions. Questions are not the enemy of faith. Questions are often the fuel of faith. Abraham is told he's going to be the father of the nations. He asks a question about it. Job loses everything. He asks questions. David is surrounded by his enemies. He asks questions. Jeremiah is imprisoned. He asks God questions. Questions are good. It's good to present our questions to God. Moses did that, and God responded by saying, now you will see. He didn't rebuke him. He blessed him for his questioning. But let's make sure that our questions are biblically informed questions, lest we're asking about stuff that God has already told us about. Because God told Moses in advance, Exodus chapter 3, that this stuff would happen. He'd already said it, but Moses was not listening or remembering the instructions. How many of you are like me? When you try and fix stuff, you can't be bothered to read the directions. <laughs> Confess right now. I was away for a couple of days uh, last week, and we had a snake show up at our house, a bull snake. It's harmless. They eat rattlesnakes, apparently, so I'm getting pretty friendly with them. I think they're rather attractive. This bull snake, my wife Kay went outside, she sees the snake, she screams, it's her job, and then uh, the snake disappears into an electrical box on the outside of our house. And Kay is thinking, mate, this is bad. And uh, there could be a hole behind the electrical box and then we're going to have a snake in the house, which is almost as bad as a snake on a plane. You know, this is bad. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, but it sounded... Kind of so she got a, we got a pool table, she got a pool cue out, and she opened the box and flipped the snake out and said, go away, snake, and it went. So I came back home, and she said, we have a snake issue. I said, fear not, for I shall go to Home Depot and purchase there some foamy, foamy stuff that I can spray into the electrical box to create a complete seal so that no reptile or moose can ever get into <laughs> that box. I go to Home Depot, I get the foamy, foamy stuff. I come home, I can't really be bothered to read the directions. It said something about wearing gloves. Oh, I don't need to wear gloves. Sorry. I go out there, check the box for snakes. 
spray the foamy foamy, just move it around a little bit. Great job. You should come over and see it. Five minutes later, I said to Kay, Kay, it is now impossible for me to move my fingers. <laughs> for they are completely stuck together. I am, I am permanently a worshiper from now on. <laughs> and she said, you didn't read the directions. I said, I know, I know, I know. She said, I'm given to understand that acetone will actually dilute that glue. I said, how did you know this? She said, I don't know, but I have nail polish, which is acetone. She said, dip your fingers in that. She said, I'll get you the acetone. I did not read the directions. I'm not wearing my wedding ring. It's because there was a wooden inlay in my wedding ring. I dipped my fingers in the acetone. The wedding ring is destroyed. It's okay, I'm getting it repaired, don't weep. <laughs> I say, honey, I've got my fingers back, but we're no longer married. <laughs> she said, didn't read directions. Sometimes we get mad with God because he doesn't do what he's never promised he would do. And because we don't have a biblical faith, we kind of go, well, life's a bit tough. Well, he never promised it wouldn't be. That's why we need to be biblical people who, who don't just rely on the weekend sermon, who, who dig into this book, who wrestle with it. It's a dangerous book. It's a powerful book. But we need to be people who ask the questions, yes, but they are biblically informed questions. Well, the last thing is this, and that is that faith is often not about a quick fix, but God's covenant is sure. It's often not about a quick fix, but God's covenant is sure. Look at verse, uh, chapter 6. We haven't read these verses before. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I'm the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. Here's what God is saying to Moses. I'm the big God of the big story. That Pharaoh dude, he's big. But I'm bigger. Abraham's story is your story, Moses. Isaac's story is your story. I'm the God of covenant. Whatever happens, God is faithful to his covenant. There's something about this story that was niggling away at me. And I, as I prepared through this week, I kept thinking, why is it that's bugging me so much? It is the fact that Moses asked God a question and then God just replied. I suddenly realized that most of the time he doesn't do that with me. I'd like to give you the impression that he does, but it's not true. I come to God with my questions and most of the time there is silence and sometimes in the ensuing days there is wisdom that comes. But I'm not having these happy little chats with God. Morning, Lord. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Why are you wearing that shirt, Jeff? I'm not sure. It often is not, it's not like that. And there are times when I sense the whisper of God in my heart, but I wish it was like Moses because God spoke to him as he does a friend. But I do want to say this. Those big moments when God does big stuff or speaks big words, we shouldn't build our faith on those. Because in the Exodus, they saw stunning stuff. Seas parted. Plagues came. 
staffs turned into snakes and then back again. But get this, everybody. Ten times in the Exodus story, they totally rebel against God. Epic encounters don't guarantee faithfulness. I love it when it happens. But if we put our faith in the big moment, it is possible that we will end up with a faith that is immature. We need to trust God. And I love what Pastor Dick Foth said. Well, you've got to hear it again. I can tell you the what, but I can't tell you the why. And I'm, I'm looking out at people here today, and you live with the why for years. And I want to thank God for you, because you have not allowed the why to drive you away but you have continued to trust him anyway. That's faith. And in those moments when you're tempted to say, what was I thinking? May you be encouraged to know that the big God of the big story is our God too. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness. And we thank you for the greatness of God. Thank you for friends here who have been able to sing glory to God in the presence of the why. I thank you that that comes before you as a sweet offering. As we wait before you in this holy moment, as we huddle together this weekend, be among us. Seal your word in our hearts to galvanize us towards faithfulness. As the heads are bowed, I wonder how many of us, this is an, a kind of strange question, but I'm going to ask it. I wonder how many of us are suffering right now because we're doing the right thing. We've made a choice. It's been a tough choice. It's been the right thing. We're trying to obey God, and it's been tough because of that. The Apostle Peter, in his letter, acknowledges those who suffer for doing good. If that's where you're at, I'd love to include you in prayer. You're suffering because you're trying to do the right thing. Will you slip up your hand right now, please? I want to pray grace and strength for you. You can put your hands down. Secondly, and I've got three questions today. The second one is this. I wonder how many of us are reversing towards the moose where we've been running to Pharaoh. We know we've been heading in the wrong direction, even to the very source of our problem, thinking that when we go there, we're going to be helped. But it's not helping. It's hurting us more. We've been going to the wrong source. I want to ask you to acknowledge that. Just slip your hand up right now, please. If I've been heading towards the wrong source and I know it. It's time to get out of reverse. You can put your hands down. Thank you for your bravery. Lastly, before I pray, I wonder very simply how many of us we need to turn our lives over to God. It's time to become a Christian right now. 
And I'm seeing people raise their hands already. And it might cost you a lot. Your friends might laugh. Your family might not understand. You don't understand the implications of this, but you know that you need Jesus Christ and you want him to take charge of your life, forgive you for your sins and take charge, whatever the price. If that's true for you, would you slip your hand up now, please, and hold it there for a moment. Thank you for doing that. That's so wonderful. You can put your hands down right right where you are, those of you that are becoming Christians right now. Just tell him you want him. You want him to take charge. You're turning around to him, accepting his forgiveness. He died on a cross to pay the price for that forgiveness. He's alive. Christianity is not a theory. It's a living relationship through faith. Invite him to take charge right now. My Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want those of you, I don't know, half a dozen, eight of you who just raised your hands because you want to become a Christian. At the end of our service, in a few minutes from now, our prayer team will be at the front here. We have information we'd like to give you to help you. This matters more than lunch. It'll take a few moments just to come and say hi to one of them. Allow them to perhaps pray for you and give you that information. Lord, we pray, first of all, for those who are giving their lives to you today. Reveal yourself powerfully to them. We pray for those who've been heading to Pharaoh for help. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that they will discover not just an emotional moment on a Sunday morning, but a lifestyle change so that they no longer are servants of that thing. Break the power of it. And we pray for those who are suffering because of faithfulness. And we ask you to strengthen them with great endurance as they even live lives that are more complicated because they are choosing to follow you and your ways. Cheer their hearts, Lord. Strengthen them for the journey, we pray. We agree together in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Before we uh, leave today, I wanted to give us an opportunity, give myself an opportunity, to just come to God with a question. You might not have one. You might want to ask him to help you to form one, either in this moment or throughout this week. But let's bow our heads for a moment. And before we rush into another busy week, just think, what question would I perhaps want to ask God? Some of us know immediately. Your word says, Lord, if any of us lack wisdom, understanding, we should ask. You won't tell us off for asking. So we bring our affirmations of faith, glory to God. We bring our questions to you. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We agree together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before you go, a quick confession. I've got to get this off my chest. Me and the Queen, Photoshop, just so you know. 
Have a great weekend. God bless you. Prayer team are here.